S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 2, Episode 14, starring Steve Martin, originally aired on February 26th. 1977. Good day, thousands. My name is Keith, and with me as always is my good buddy Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello, Keith. How are things? I'm on day three, no cigarettes. Fantastic, congratulations. Joining us for the second time, making her return since Madeline Kahn. It's been a while. In Saturday Night Live years, it's almost one. It's our good buddy, tremendously talented individual, and one of my best friends in the world, despite the fact we agree on virtually nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Our Don Pardo, if you will, Christine. Hello, Christine. Hello, friends. Yeah, so there's somebody somebody out there is really mad because you got Madeline Kahn and Steve Martin. <laughs> I chose strategically. We'll have to stick you in for another, like, bad one, for a bad one at some point. <laughs> Although Chili's having a great time with the bad ones, eh, Matt? Yeah, Chili loves the swill. So tonight it's the return of Steve Martin. He was here earlier in the year. Um, musical guest is The Kinks, and Lily Tomlin is in as a special guest and she's basically here to push her upcoming Broadway show. I don't think I liked the Madeline Kahn one, and I was wondering if you had the scores at your fingertips. Of course, yes. Madeline Kahn, the last time Christine was with us, I, if uh, I'm just bringing up my Excel right now. I know Christine and I did enjoy it more than you did. I gave it an 8, Christine gave it a 7, and you gave it a 4.5, Matt. So. <laughs> <laughs> So before we jump into the show, uh, Matt and I have uh, an apology to uh, to issue to uh, Al Franken and the late Tom Davis. We've been hard on them for for a lot of their work, and and mostly because we hate the Pong sketch. But what information I've been able to glean over the past week, those were not actually written by Franken and Davis. Um, they were written by Alan Zweibel, and Franken and Davis were were probably the only two there that could play Pong while delivering the lines. So uh, to to Senator Franken and uh, the estate of Mr. Davis, you have our serious mea culpas. Franken and Davis, sincere apologies. Zweibel, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> he also seems like a lovely guy, and I do recommend Alan Zweibel's book, Laugh Lines. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was quite good. Is, is it uh, SNL heavy? Uh, about half and half, a little bit about the Gary Shandling show and stuff like that. Uh, but there's a lot of SNL stuff in there for sure. Quite a bit about Gilda as well. So, uh, yeah, no, mm-hmm. a good, uh, really good read. Actually, I had the audio book, so a really good listen. So uh, let's get to the show then. So Steve Martin is leaving his dressing room and he meets up with Gilda Radner and she chastises him because she thinks he's changed since he guest hosted The Tonight Show. Sort of comes out that Gilda and Steve have been dating and he implies that he may have given her the clap because he was nice enough to recommend a good lotion for her. Mm -hmm. He leaves her and heads to the locker room where he sees Belushi, Garrett and Murray. Murray says from what he hears, he doesn't like Steve Martin very much. Belushi says they all know what he did to Gilda. Garrett is mad because he ruined the reputation of one of the not-ready-for-prime-time players. Martin says he doesn't have to take their guff and plans on walking off the show until Belushi grabs his finger and sort of twists it back and making Steve give the live from New York. 
for the beginning, I really enjoyed this. I thought this was fun. It was quick. Uh, they involved a lot of folks. I mean, I thought it was fine. I was watching this without the context of like, where was Steve Martin in his career at this time? So without sure. maybe the understanding of like what had happened for him between his this appearance and his previous appearance on the show. Um, mm. But as far as it being like a, a quick, snappy, like get into the show, I appreciated that enough. I was just a little bit unsure of the context. Sitting. Wow. Ho- guest hosting The Tonight Show in 1977. That's huge. Mm. Steve Martin is out here. He's between SNLs. What, what a what a huge leap for him between appearances so his career is going off his his egotistical energy kind of sold the the whole bit for me i I don't think they give you a lotion for it anymore though (laughs) i don't mean to bring down the conversation or anything but you know steve martin's in this white suit right yep this guy is packing i hadn't i hadn't noticed (laughs) i i did (laughs) it was always very popular with the ladies well i can see why So we now go to the monologue and Steve Martin comes to home base and he does some of his offbeat comedy, including he takes like a selfie with an old camera. He does his happy feet bit. He does a traditional Native American song that has things like little girl in it and stuff. He talks about his goals and then he talks about a drug he takes that makes him small. And he and his friends like together, like to get together and get really small. Most of this for me was just your standard Steve Martin fare. I did really like the delivery about the drug that makes people small. Overall, this was very much like the the other Steve Martin monologue, except uh, no banjo this time around, which I did miss, to be honest. Oh, the monologue. I, I can't just like transport my brain back to the 70s and look at it with a 70s lens, right? I, I am like watching this and I'm watching this like sure. sort of mock American Indian indigenous quote unquote traditional song, right? And like... Yeah. I'm horrified. (laughs) If he's making fun of people jazzing things up, then I can kind of get behind that, that side of the joke. But the other side of it Mm -hmm. was like, okay, I'm super done with this. But I, I I agree with you though, Keith, with the, with the like getting small bit. I was, I was kind of into that bit (laughs) once we got past some of the initial stuff. And the other thing I realized too, and watching this back was like, you know, like I said before, I came to Steve Martin like much, much later in his career. So I wasn't really Mm -hmm. aware of what he was doing at this time that was like actually launching his career and, you know, was becoming popular and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, this like (laughs) this, this style of Steve Martin doesn't, doesn't actually do that much for me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, but I did like the getting small bit. It was awfully energetic. I thought it was a little too energetic for me. (laughs) Uh, It was it was almost manic. And you guys have it covered pretty nicely uh, with regards to what was funny and what was just no, sir. I I like when people like him come out and do their stand up as the monologue. I'm Mm -hmm. into that idea. And it's certainly more refreshing than somebody who has no idea what they're doing going out there and reading cue cards that could have been written for anybody. That This is like a joke for the writers. They can just chill. So I do appreciate that, despite the fact that they weren't all winners. You know, it's interesting what you say about the energy, too, because watching it, I was like, okay, 
what is this substances? Is this anxiety? Is this some sort of combination of these things? But I was sort of like, what is this like super awkward energy from this person? Just dial it down. <laughs> and then he literally steps back and steps back into the mic again and sort of <laughs> seems more grounded. I was like, okay, maybe you got me there, Steve Martin. Our next sketch is our second appearance from the Coneheads. And this one, I also believe, was written by Dan Aykroyd and Tom Davis. So we have uh, Beldar and Primat. They meet one another in the living room in the morning, and they talk about going to the sleep chamber. Connie comes down, and she has her cone painted for a uh, Peter Frampton concert. Beldar goes into the uh, when-I-was-your-age bit that every dad has to do, but it's customized for the Conehead's home planet. Steve Martin shows up as an IRS agent with a bunch of questions. And then uh, Jane comes in with the morning meal, which is shredded swine flesh and fried chicken embryos, along with some beer and orange juice. And this sketch, like the last one, uh, finishes up with the ring toss. Jane sucks at the ring toss. She's great at everything else, but this is the second sketch where she just botched the uh, ring toss. This is such a fun sketch. I mean, they're so on point. I I can't imagine anyone else doing it as well as Aykroyd, Newman, and Curtin. And and Steve Martin was actually kind of playing the uh, the straight man on this one, and and to, to great effect. What a what a fun sketch. I really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, I thought it was fun. Um, <laughs> sorry, I feel like I'm going to be like way more critical than maybe you thought I was going to be today. Oh, did I, what's the what was the Frampton bit? I didn't get it at all. She's going to a Peter Frampton concert. What Is that mean? was that just <laughs> it? So, yeah, yeah. So she like painted up her cone because she's going to hang out with all the, you know, the cool kids at the 1977 rock concert. And that was it. Okay. That's really it. Yeah. Okay. Well, the the only reason I ask is because she made a comment about like, for some reason, I'm the only girl who can get backstage or whatever. I was like, what am I missing? Yeah. She said she's the, I think she said she's the only girl that can get backstage. Either way, I didn't get the joke at all. And neither did the audience. (laughs) Great. (laughs) You're, you're right. Actually, I don't feel like I missed anything that they didn't also miss. I think she said she can't. And this, this is what I remember from watching. If this was even the joke, maybe I'm just totally mistaken, but I thought she can't. Because to get backstage at the Peter Frampton concert, you got to blow the roadies. Right. When you blow the roadies with a cone head, you know, that's like the Frank Zappa song says, when she's on her knees, the point is so high. I keep saying, please keep it out of my eye. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I did. I did think it was fun. I do remember the Coneheads. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, I wish I'd seen the first one. But you could hear the audience was like excited to see them. And then the sketch was fine. Like it was it was mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, I think there's better Coneheads probably out there, but they did a great. The execution was good. I don't know. Uh, and I liked the sketch more than both of you. I thought it was uh, really funny and mm. really great. I really liked that Steve Martin uh, was just in the background. I really think that shows, you know, you're coming out with this sketch at the top of the show and you've got the host in a back bit. Like they think this is hot. And, <laughs> uh, and I think they're right. We now go to, and pardon the pronunciation, Nurwir di Sinsukt, a Schubert tune as sung by Garrett Morris. And this is very much like the one from last year, which, which I absolutely adored where he's, you know, in front of the PBS ask blue screen with Cheryl Hardwick on piano and then a, a cellist. And he sings with the uh, Chiron going up. Unlike the previous one, is not about Garrett threatening to kill everyone with a knife, but it's about him being in love. He fell in love with a woman that he met in New Orleans. He told her he was Harry Belafonte, and he wanted to impress her with his singing. This was really funny. Um, it wasn't a patch on the first one, but it was really, really enjoyable. Again, love hearing, uh, love hearing Garrett sing. 
And also, uh, he was wearing that sort of shipwrecked pirate matador costume that he was wearing at the goodbyes last week, Matt, with Murray and Belushi, I think, or maybe Murray and Aykroyd were all wearing them at the end of last week's episode. So maybe that gives some context. But I really enjoyed this. Uh, Garrett singing again is is fantastic. I loved this. I, I just did. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about it. I just really enjoyed it. I was so happy to hear Garrett singing. Yeah, I liked the whole the whole bit. I was happy with it. There's a lot to love. He has the man has a beautiful voice. He's in a ridiculous right. costume. And we're getting to read jokes like it's they're three for three. Go to a quick Chiron on the audience member. This person is supposed to be babysitting. And then we go right into celebrity weightlifting. So Murray is doing commentary as Vasilye Alexiev, played by John Belushi is in a weightlifting contest against Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, played by Gilda. And this is a clean-and-jerk competition. He naturally wins. Uh, Jackie almost gets it after much of a struggle, but uh, falls over. This, to me, was really, really funny. I laughed through the whole thing. Belushi and Gilda, who I've not been as big on as the lore would say, were both hilarious in this. I thought Murray's commentary was fantastic. For a short thing with not much whistles and bells to it, I really got a huge kick out of this one. Yeah, I'm with you. I I can't I don't really have much to add to that other than that I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was okay. No. <laughs> I thought it was okay. Yeah. There, there was no jokes. It was all just about the, you know, the physical comedy. And that's okay. You know, you can do that. You can go out with with a funny performer and some pretty soft jokes and make it work. But I mean, other than, you know, Gilda struggling around in that pink dress that she wore when the guy was shot. I don't know. I it was okay. <laughs> like it, it was just <laughs> a bunch of, you know, body gags. And that's fine. It's just not my style of comedy. How nice is it to see Belushi and Gilda in a physical comedy sketch where he's not pounding the shit out of her? (laughs) Pretty nice. (laughs) (laughs) Remember when she was it her that got wailed into the desk? It wasn't Belushi that did that, though. Was that Murray? No, it was Bill Murray. Yeah, (laughs) that was that was that was good comedic timing, I must say. So we now go to our first musical performance uh, by the Kinks. Lorraine introduces the band, and she has a look on her face like she's a big fan. I certainly hope she Mm. was. And the Kinks come out and do a four-song medley. They do You Really Got Me, All Day and All Night, A Well-Respected Man, and Lola. If you're a big-name band like these folks, uh, a medley of hits is a great way to do it. Um, I think Lola is one of the best rock songs written to today. Um, and you really got me in all day and all night are, are staples, especially of like advertisements and stuff like that. And a well-respected man is a well-respected song. So I, I really enjoyed this. And honestly, I thought, uh, I thought they looked like they were having a great time and they did really well. I enjoyed the performance. I did find myself going and back and, and looking up what year all of the tunes were from because sort of, I think you're right, Keith, like the approach makes sense play your hits you're well known but it always feels a little weird to me when i'm like you must have current music like why are we reaching back you know 13 years or or whatever it was to some more familiar hits but yeah i enjoyed the performance i don't like medleys i think it's a cheap pop you're right christine they do have current music that they should be out here promoting they must i'm assuming they just get asked hey will you you do a few of the hits Mm mm-hmm Ray, Ray Davis is a Kinks guy. He's probably like, yeah, this is a strange man. This man would go on to date Chrissy Hine from, from The Pretenders. She She's a tough woman. Uh, so <laughs> I think anybody that's putting up with Chrissy Hine has got a, he's got a little something special. But I digress. His guitar, the electric guitar was too loud. It was turned way <sighs> up. 
you're not the who. Turn it down. Let us enjoy <laughs> the pop rock songs. I, I, the, the songs are fine. Van, Van Halen's version of You Really Got Me is just better. It was just okay for me. We now go to Weekend Update, which is something I think Matt's going to enjoy. So Jane makes reference to delivering the news last week in, in a very sexy way. She's not going to do it now because she has a headache. And I'll just run through a few jokes from the first half. Anita Bryant is getting a sex change once she decides what sex to change to. This joke is hilarious, but it relies entirely on knowing who Anita Bryant is today. Johnny Carson is going live after 15 years of performing the show Dead. Carter gets uh, gets liquor de- uh, delivered intravenously after banning it, drinking of hard liquor from the uh, White House. And there's a little bit about Rudolph Hess trying to kill himself at Spandau. I just highlighted that one to sort of show how long ago this actually was. Then we go to Dr. Root Breadloaf, played by Gilda, who wrote a diet book where you basically eat a page of the book for each meal. It wasn't overly funny, but it was just weird enough to be intriguing. The only other thing from Update, I may as well just throw it out here, is Lorraine interviews Dan Aykroyd on the president's new flying command post that the president can use in case of nuclear war. And Lorraine notes that a big airplane is particularly vulnerable to heat-seeking or laser-guided devices. Aykroyd and the folks at Washington hadn't thought of this. I intentionally avoided looking up what was going on at the time to see what I felt translated for me. (laughs) Because I do love Weekend Update currently and this style of humor. But as with the last time with the Madeline Kahn episode, I was like, I don't know anything about the late 70s. That's just what that really reinforced for me. I did have a good laugh when the people of Cincinnati were sentenced to live in Cincinnati. When Curtin stumbled on the suicide attempt in prison joke, um, she like kind of stumbled on the word confused. And I was like, I couldn't (laughs) tell if that was intentional or not. (laughs) <laughs> or if she just got lost in the script. But I did. I I mean, I had a pretty good laugh at the like at the like airplane heat seeking missile joke, just because hmm. to me, I was like, uh, maybe we're like commenting on defense spending and things like that. I was sort of 50 50 on it. And I think for me, a lot of it is because it's just about current events. It's not just about current events, but so much of it is depends on what's going on in current events and your understanding of of that. So there are definitely a bunch of jokes that went way over my head, but I still kind of enjoyed it. I thought it was an above average weekend update overall. Jane fucked up a lot, uh, which I think to her uh, credit, you know, it didn't sink the sketch. She's so good at this. She's so Mm -hmm. much better than the legendary Chevy Chase is at it. (laughs) Uh, Keith, I, I think about it every time now when I watch it, uh, what you said, that Weekend Update with Chevy was about Chevy and Weekend Update with Jane. It's a little more about the jokes. Her delivery right. of them has more care. She's better at it. When she fucked up on that joke, she went like, I thought she was just going to restart her sentence. She restarted the whole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was just awesome. It is crazy to think, okay, we're here watching this show. And sometimes when we're watching this show, it just feels extremely modern. And like, Mm. I I feel like it could have been on the other day. Uh, It really was a hot show for the time in 1977 to still be able to project this feeling to me in 2022, like this is a hot late night show. And then to hear that there was like a Nazi that's alive and like one of the big ones, Mm -hmm. not like a guard and Dachau, who was 17 or some shit. Uh, but Rudolf Hess was alive. That's crazy. Matt, I'm glad you mentioned Jane's style here, too, because I wasn't really thinking about that, about like Chevy previously and then all the people who've come through Weekend Update since. But like 
Jane's style is just so perfect. Mm -hmm. She just, and maybe that's, that's probably part of it for me is that even though the jokes didn't all work for me, I would like, I'm happy to watch Jane Curtin. <laughs> and again, it's universal amongst the third chairs. Every one of you so far have singled out Jane as being a tremendous performer. And I can't say that's been the case for anyone else on the show. I would be remiss if I didn't point out how much I did not like Gilda's commercial. I, I didn't think it was funny. It gave me the feeling that Belushi joking about drugs does because the girls got it. Mm. So I, I didn't like its vibe at all. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, that definitely puts it in a different context. We're now on to Broadway Baby. So Joe Disco comes out and calls for everyone in their places, and that involves Steve Martin at a counter in a cafe. He announces Lily Tomlin and tells her how great she's going to be on Broadway. Lily says she really deserves it and has been working so hard since the 1930s. It's her dream to be on Broadway, as it is of Jane, Lorraine, and Gilda. So she starts singing Broadway Baby, and uh, Gilda, Jane, and Lorraine join in, and they all sing and dance. There's some really nice quick changes here. Really fun bit, actually. Um, and while everyone claps at the end, Joe Disco comes back out and says something that's completely drowned out. Yeah, I mean, this is basically an ad for Lily's Broadway show, but uh, I really enjoyed this. I thought this was a great little segment. thought everyone was on point. It was definitely not everyone's strong suit, this sort of singing and dancing bit, but the uh, the women really gave it, and uh, and Lily was a good first among equals there. I thought they did a nice job. I mean, I I, I enjoyed it enough, but to be honest, I, I was watching it thinking like that there was a punchline coming, and maybe that is just a lesson I need to learn, that there's not always going to be a punchline necessarily. Yeah, that's kind of, I was watching the whole thing like, okay, this is going well. Like, I also flagged the quick changes, Keith, like, thought that they did a nice job of that, you know, burying it classic, right? Bury your costume under a trench coat. But, but yeah, but yeah, I guess at the end of it, I was like, okay, what was that for? Other than being an advertisement for Lily Tomlin's show, which I guess that's really all it was. I thought it was pretty good. The the, the girls can't sing too, too hot. The, uh, the not ready for primetime players, ladies. It's not the first time I've noticed, <laughs> but that's fine. They're funny. They're not there to sing. They're there to make us laugh. So you're here to make us laugh because you can't sing. And here, and here, go do something that's not funny. And sing. <laughs> I <laughs> laughed through this. I don't know why. but <laughs> Really? <laughs> you know, I, I think it's because a lot of the charm of it was because I didn't not like it. The, don't get yeah. me wrong. I, I enjoyed watching it start to finish. I the, the novelty for me is seeing Jane, Gilda, and Lorraine, this classed-up situation on this dingy studio, and uh, they're just not... It's not their game. It's like if somebody from Seinfeld walked onto the set of Friends in the 90s, you'd be like, oh, my God, it's not their show. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and incidentally, uh, neither Gilda nor Jane nor Lorraine appeared on Lily's Broadway show, which kind of made it sad afterwards. So we now go to pull the plug. It's Bill Murray and Jane Curtin playing the parents of Buddy, played by John Belushi. Buddy is on life support. Martin, their doctor, says that Buddy is probably not going to recover and suggests they might want to take him off life support. They initially hesitate until Martin says it costs 500 bucks a day to keep him there. And Murray suddenly remembers that Buddy said to pull the plug if he was ever in a coma. I think Keith's mic died. I think we lost him. So the, the, the guy's in a coma. Right. And they it's really expensive. So they're just going to pull the plug. And then Steve does his his physical comedy bit. And then John wakes up and he's like, oh, I'm fine now. You were going to pull the plug. Ah. <laughs> Steve, you know, the whole sketch was Steve Martin flailing around. I didn't right. think it's very good. I thought it was fine. I mean, I am I back. 
You're back. All right. Matt, Matt, uh, Matt, explain the rest of the sketch. Yeah, I could I could hear you. It was great. Oh, great. I enjoyed this. That's all I got. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I thought it was fine. Like, I like a dark joke about death, <laughs> medically assisted death. I don't know. It's funny. Things are like have changed a bit and yet not at all. Steve Martin's, well, excuse me, watching the like catchphrase bit a couple of times, realizing it was a catchphrase, realizing mm-hmm. that the, he had just had this album that was super popular and everything, like watching it with my, you know, 2022 vision. I am thinking this person is doing a great job of making fun of catchphrases. Is that actually what was happening? I think so. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. I was like, is he a little bit ahead of this? And are people thinking that this is a funny catchphrase and other people thinking this is a funny way of making fun of catchphrases? But I just wasn't quite sure of the like comedic context. It's a good question. I have not thought of that. But Steve Martin being so far ahead of the curve Mm -hmm. comedically. I'm totally thinking that now that he may have just been making fun of the catchphrase, but while still cashing the checks. Yeah. Anyway, and I think that came up in this sketch, right? I'm not Hmm. mistaking that with another one. Yeah. So anyway, I thought this sketch was fine. It was funny enough. I didn't really have any big like laugh out loud moments with it. And I was a little bit I felt like the trying to um, actually unplug from the wall was either too long or too short. I'm not quite sure what would have fixed it, but it was like not not quite working for me even though it was supposed to be like the big physical comedy moment um but yeah overall eh, it was fine we now go to a gary weiss it's buster holmes's soul food restaurant in new orleans and this was shot when they were down doing their new orleans uh, mardi gras special uh this restaurant was apparently based on facebook and memories that are posted this place was a new orleans hotspot that had like amazing food uh, at completely excellent prices you could get like a plate of beans for like 16 cents buster holmes even released a cookbook at some point i really enjoyed it i could have watched like another five or six minutes of it really interesting stuff great subject um and holmes himself went on to live until uh, 1994 yeah I, I i enjoyed this despite it not being funny this is more on the good end of gary weiss for me i enjoyed it it made me hungry. It kind of reminded me that where today's SNL is like just joke after joke after joke after joke, that the earlier SNL, at least there are these like sort of variety show moments. And I remember that from the Madeline Kahn one in particular, um, but even just having the Broadway baby, you know, number in this one and this film, which didn't make me laugh, but I was interested in it. It's just highlighting for me a bit of a difference in in the time and maybe what they were trying to do with the show when they first uh, first started it. But yeah, I liked it. I could have watched a little more of it. I think at this point, because I've seen so many of them that, you know, I now have the Pavlovian response of when I hear a Gary Weiss film or when I know when I, you know, as soon as I fucking lay eyes on it, I know it's a Gary Weiss film. So I do turn down that part of me that's expecting, you know, that that make me laugh part of watching Saturday Night Live. It I definitely turn it off for the Gary Weiss films because I've become so accustomed to him doing these just interesting character profiles of just real people living in the city. That's my shit. I love that aesthetic, uh, and I generally like his thoughtful movies. We now go to Hollywood Bingo, so everyone in the studio get up on stage. Um, <laughs> so we have Steve Martin as Gern Blanson, and this show is kind of a takeoff of Hollywood Squares. It has 24 squares. It's a big bingo card, and each square has... A uh, member of the cast, 
crew or band in 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 a square and uh, they're playing a bunch of celebrities the highlights that jumped out for me were Lorraine Sandy Duncan Jane Curtin's Rosemary Al Franken's George Jessel uh, Rosie Schuster as the nutty nun um, and I always like to note some sketch debuts here. We had uh, future band leader and uh, wife of Michael O'Donohue, Cheryl Hardwick, was in there, as well as band member Alan Rubin. The costume designers uh, Fran or Franny Lee and Karen Roston were in there as well. And there's just so many celebrities in here that Steve Martin does his host banter over and over again, does it very, very well. But they run out of time and there's no game. I enjoyed this. This was uh, there wasn't much to this at all, but uh, but I got a kick out of this, and maybe it's because there were so many people in it. I don't know. I did too, Keith. And I think one of the things I liked about it was that it like didn't go anywhere. It was just like this little concept, and let's just stretch it as far as we can and run out of time after we've done all of these introductions. I really enjoyed Steve Martin on this one. I loved it. Was Lily Tomlin as Farrah Fawcett, right? Yes, it was. So yeah. like, ju- I just like the like playful energy of some of these just Im- impressions or impersonations, mm-hmm. impressions. I sometimes use those wrong. Yeah, I thought it, I just thought it was good fun. At the end of the day, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really funny. The, the, it, had, it was just nonstop energy from start to finish. Steve Martin uh, was doing a great job as the host. The game show thing is a is a, an SNL trademark. Do the fake game show. Make fun of a game show. Whenever they roll out the game shows, I can't think of one that I didn't enjoy. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure they'll prove me incorrect. You certainly will, but, uh, but yeah, it's usually a hit. Yes. Great concept that they generally pull off. No exception here. Love when there's writer cameos seeing, you know, Michael O'Donohue giving the finger guns <laughs> to somebody <laughs> off camera. Uh, yeah, it's just it was so Mickey Dolan's manager, wasn't he? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I, I meant to mention, too, that the Lorraine, Lorraine Newman was awesome as Sandy Duncan. Yeah, yeah. She was, if I can see her eyes almost rolling back in her head. She was, Lorraine is yeah. so good at these possessed women. Well, there was a the joke in there, too, because Garrett was uh, Sammy Davis. And then he says someone who sees things the same way Sammy Davis does, and it goes to Sandy Duncan. Well, they, they both have glass eyes. So that was just like a line that <laughs> just run over. So we now go from uh, to the movie, the home movie. And it's not really a home movie, but it's a home movie. And it's from the big orange to the big apple. And it's Lily Tomlin playing a whole bunch of her characters in in a movie. Uh, they're they're basically driving across country to go uh, to go to New York to do the Broadway show. And the characters include Ernestine and Tess. We saw Tess earlier this year in a sketch. Crystal, Susie, Judith Beasley and a male character. They also make reference to Edith Ann being in the car. First thing I thought was the old uh, Alanis Morissette video where she's all four people in the car. But uh, this was funny. It showed with Lily's diversity. I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty good, actually. It was definitely like, a, again, another ad for her Broadway show. But considering that Lily kind of brought Lauren to the national prominence as a producer for her specials, maybe this is a quid pro quo situation. And it was entertaining. I thought it was funny. I enjoyed it. I did think it was like a great showcase of Lily Tomlin's characters and, and range. And pretty good. She's pretty good. Obviously, you know, she, she, she's a she's a big Hollywood movie star. Of course, she's pretty good. Uh, but this, you know, it's a nice little tour de force for her to put on. I mean, she and she is a star. So, of course, the show is going to be like, yeah, here's five minutes. Rock it. So it's a win win for both of them. And, you know, 
a moderate win for us. We now go to Roots 2. So let's set your clocks back 400 years. ABC called Alex Haley and demanded Roots 2. Haley was reluctant, and Garrett is playing Alex Haley. Haley was reluctant to do so, but they offered him $3 million, and suddenly he remembered that he had a grandfather he'd forgotten all about. So we have Bill Murray, Al Franken, and John Belushi playing three imprisoned slaves ready to be sold. There's a big sign up top saying White Sale. Belushi and Martin then go on to do a parody of the Kunta Kinte whipping scene. Aykroyd comes out as a kind of a carnival barker or a, he's an auctioneer. He's a slave auctioneer, but he's talking about the slaves as if they're used cars. And then Lorraine comes in as a white, rich white plantation owner and she buys all the slaves. This is not good on a lot of levels. The only thing I really thought was funny in this was Garrett tracing his lineage based on the actors that were in the movie. So he traces himself to J.J. Dynamite Walker. Um, but beyond this, I, I thought this sketch was actually really terrible, and there were just so many bad levels of S and hell rolled into one sketch here that I just really didn't didn't like this at all. And not only was it you know on the offensive scale, but it's also like poorly written and not funny. I can't even see where some of the humor was meant to come. I couldn't find anything entertaining in this whole sketch because of the whole time I'm watching it. Like, what do you people think you're doing? <laughs> Why did you feel the need to do this? Yeah, I didn't I didn't enjoy it um, for lots of reasons. But like you said, it's also just like not a well-written sketch. Um, no. Beyond, you know, take <laughs> if you could, which you can't if you were to take race out of it. Um, it's just not well written, well put together. But um, yeah, I just I just didn't like any part of it. Just just so so lazy and stupid and offensive. Like and it's and it was too long. Like come on, there's so much. You know, give me another Mr. Bill. That takes 90 seconds. Shave it off. This mm-hmm. it was. Uh, yeah, I really thought this was a disaster. Uh, the likes of which we haven't seen this season maybe in season one but um i really you know it's like okay roots is a hit so we're gonna make a sketch roots two and it's uh, and that's literally how long it took to write it and then they just sent the <laughs> actors out to say a bunch of <laughs> it's yeah. it was terrible so lazy on top of being offensive it's just so damn lazy i i would like to give kudos to my regular co-host and good buddy matt for predicting this sketch almost almost perfectly um i don't know if you remember this matt but a while back garrett did another sketch that was called roots where he i I believe this is the one where he went through a a photo album and showed his ancestors and they were all like garrett in white makeup making funny faces and stuff do you remember this i remember the sketch so i said and and whoever was co-hosting it might have been sean had said that they were just trying to capitalize on the success of Roots, the book, and the fact that the movie was coming. And And I said, once the movie came out and the writers were more familiar with the material, they'd do something a lot funnier. And you said, no, they'll probably do some stupid misguided parody of Kunta Kinte with Belushi <laughs> making stupid faces as the Whips Garrett. Now, that's not exactly what they did, but your uh, what you called was perfect. Like, was, oh, wow. Was, like, yeah, I couldn't believe it. That's uh, that's really cool. Yeah. And you went on you went on a bit longer, but we had some Skype flares, so some of it wound up on the cutting room floor. But uh, well, but you really nailed you take it. Out, take out some of that stuff anyway. All the cuss. Yeah. 
But wow, thank you for sharing that. I love knowing that. It's just gross. Like it's like watching it, even even trying to like understand historical context. I just I was just like, what what was happening in the writer's room? Like what prompted this? stupid mm-hmm. and offensive sketch they're not anyway. thinking they're uh, christine yeah. and like, literally it's 1977 they're like uh-huh. all on cocaine like right. all of them. <laughs> if they're and like right. quite literally they they've confirmed <laughs> it, it's yeah they they stay up late on a tuesday and they get full of blow and write the show with yeah, a few I mean, exceptions that, you're right that does explain a lot <laughs> sure yeah a few exceptions it doesn't excuse uh, but, it but it this is why can keith's keith shared earlier in another episode this is why candace bergen doesn't want to come back yeah and you know some people say well you can't make fun of things i, I would challenge them to look at uh, the dave Chappelle shows uh or Chappelle shows roots which was hilarious <laughs> And the other sad part, too, is Garrett and Lorraine in particular were both really good in this sketch for what they had to do. Yeah. I've often wondered, like, what not to go too far down this road. I know that's not the point of the the podcast, but, like, I've often wondered what is it like for Garrett to work on that show at that time? Miserable. Miserable. Yeah. He was treated pretty shittily by members of the cast and members of Mm -hmm. the uh, writing staff. Um, both in the material they gave him and also like backstage and stuff. Some people were just so yeah. bloody mean to him. On the flip side, like not the flip side, but Garrett had serious substance problems. He was also not socially involved with anyone. Uh, like he was, he's about 10 years older than everyone else. Um, so there were things that Garrett was doing to alienate himself from everyone else. However, when you read about it and, and, and listen to Garrett, it, it 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 wasn't a pleasant place for him, but it paid well. But it's funny yeah. because when, when Garrett is on and he's given the right stuff and he's maybe in the right frame of mind, he's really had some amazing moments on this show. He's so talented. Yeah. He yeah. really is. Yeah. But sometimes it's just, you know, who you hang out with, you know. So our our next bit is another musical bit, and it is the Kinks again, and they are doing something recent. Um, it's called Sleepwalker, and it's from the album of the same name. This hit 48 on the Billboard. This is not a particularly memorable performance or song because I forgot the tune as soon as the song was over. thought they were fun. And for me, it's hard to top that medley. So, uh, yeah, this was okay. <laughs> I had the same thought, Keith. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> they, di- they did come back and perform again. I forgot all about it. Um, yeah, it was kind of uh, it was kind of fine. Um, and uh, but <laughs> I don't know, Matt, what did you think? I mean, it wasn't a medley. It wasn't a medley. Uh, I thought it was a step up from the uh, first performance of the evening. I First of all, I, I enjoy hearing entire songs. That's always <laughs> a, a treat for me. Uh, I just thought, you know, they had good. I thought the energy was they were I, thought, I felt they were more into it. You know, when a band goes out there and plays the hits, you know, they were having fun and that's fine. But when you play the new shit, you can tell they're into it. And I got that vibe from the kinks and the second one where they're like, this is what we're into now. Once upon a time, I, I, I made somebody a playlist and it was all songs that I liked five years ago. And then I sent it to them. And as soon as I sent it to them, I was like, all those songs are like five years ago. I need to do it again. I need to make a playlist that I'm into now. (laughs) And, and we talked about it way more. (laughs) And that's a pretty bad example. But, The now matters. Don't do hits medleys on the hot late night show on a Saturday night. 
it just seems like such an opportunity, like play your new material. But they, I mean, weren't the kinks sort of, they had like a big wave and then they crashed a little bit. And this was yeah. like, they were kind of on their way up again at this time, weren't they? Sort of. Yeah. So, they they never peaked again what they were. I don't think. Right. Right. But they had sort of come back, recovered a little bit from mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I was actually shocked that Lola was 1970. I thought it was far later than it was. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought Lola was closer to this period, 77, 78. I go to sleep. Great kink song. Check it out. Kids at home. Next sketch is uh, called The Lovers, and it's Steve Martin and Gilda. They play two people who just met at a bar. They both have extremely unique jobs, and they're exactly the same, and they've had a lot of the same experiences. They have the same favorite loud noises, the same favorite pains, and they're just discovering about this about each other. This, to me, was a lot of fun. Gilda and Martin have an amazing chemistry together. I, both of them were so friggin' good. Um, this sort of thing will be revisited later in different forms where it's two people discussing unique things that they know but but or they experienced. But uh, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was great. I did too. I I had some I got some really good laughs out of this one. I was, I was like I love this like weird but charming, awkward, funny date. Um, but I also just you mentioned it already, Keith, like the the chemistry between the two of them. I really quite loved it at some point. And the camera work, too, I was adding to this a little bit. But at some point, I'm just like, am I am I actually am I thinking about making out with the 1970s Steve Martin right now? I think I am. <laughs> um, and that's fine. Um, he's, anyway, he's not, not going to disappoint. Like <laughs> Not from what I hear from from Matt here. Um, yeah. Anyway, I I thought it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was. It wasn't. It was neither my least nor my favorite part of the show. Uh, as Keith mentioned, they they had really good chemistry and it was fun to watch. I mean, it wasn't. I didn't find it funny, uh, but uh, I did think it was cute. It's in a and it, you know it's it's at the end of the show. This is where you put something like that. I, I thought it was okay. We now go to the good nights and Steve and Lily say goodbye and then they're joined by the cast. Nothing really jumped out for me at the good nights tonight. Like it wasn't Ralph Nader throwing peanuts or Dan Aykroyd not showing up. This is just your standard good night. So the host, this was a fun job by Steve Martin. He, again, really fits in well and he gets the humor or he makes the show get his humor. He works great with this cast, and his chemistry, as we mentioned with Gilda, is in particular extremely good. He came off as someone who could have been a cast member, and I find the material on this episode was far better than the last one. For a second or two, I was kind of pissed off that maybe some of Steve's time was siphoned off by Lily, but when I really looked into it, Lily really only had one segment and then a home movie, and I enjoyed both of them. So for Steve Martin, this was a strong performance hosting. And we will see Steve Martin again in season three. How does Steve Martin work for you folks? I thought he was great. I felt like he really embedded himself in the cast, whether or not he was inviting them to sort of get him or he was just, you know, playing sort of the straight man in the Coneheads. I thought he was a great host. I'm really happy that this was uh, one of the ones I got to watch and join you, join you two for. I mean, we've said uh, so many times, so many of us, I am one of them. Just when I was a kid, I just thought he was on the show. And, uh, you know, the, this episode is pretty much evidence why he blends in. He can be the star, uh, but he can work the back. 
The writers know exactly what to do with him. They probably, he probably is, you know, for the most part, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm going to host a game show. Don't worry about it. Uh, I, I can see him just doing a lot of his own stuff. He's certainly working with the writers heavily, I would imagine. Guy's got a catchphrase and albums and a gimmick. Of course, he's working with the writers. What am I talking about? Top tier host. Um, the music, the kinks. I loved the medley. I know Matt didn't. And the second set for me wasn't great thing. Every bit of thing about the kinks for me was head and shoulders above like what we've come to expect as our standard fare. A great energy by a band that has a very versatile sound. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed their performances. It was great. The kinks will come back in 1984. Yeah, I thought they were a good fit, medley or not. <laughs> they seemed like they were good for the show. They fit in well. They played well. I enjoyed their music. Happy to have listened to their tunes on this one. I mean, you got to remember how much I usually hate the music. <laughs> There's so much shitty music on Saturday Night Live so far in these first two seasons. So much white bread, dad rock, or generic 70s AM R&B. A lot of it is just so faceless. The Kinks are a cool band. You know, what I like about the Kinks is that despite the fact that they have all these hits, you know, I'm going to I, I got to take Lola out of the equation, because if I never hear Lola again in my life, I've heard it enough. <laughs> yeah. uh, but every other song, I, I really don't feel the Kinks are a band that are like beaten to death on uh -huh. classic rock radio. Uh, so I still can dig them as a cool 70s band above average music tonight. Don't get me wrong about not liking the medley. Uh, I'll take the kinks all day over some of the swill that we've had to sit through. What was the worst sketch of the night? Roots 2. Roots 2, <laughs> yeah. Roots 2, bad on every level. What's the best sketch of the night? And I'll be honest, I can usually sort of gauge where you're going with this based on the conversation, but right now I have no idea where you folks are going. I really adored Garrett's musical performance. I was very happy with mm -hmm. that. I smiled and laughed the whole way through. But I also really loved Hollywood Bingo. As simple a premise as it was, I like just really enjoyed it and laughed the whole time. Uh, so I'm very, I'm feeling very torn. You gotta choose. You gotta choose one. I'm gonna, hmm. I'm gonna go with Hollywood Bingo. Coneheads. They got a hit on their hands and they know it. It's leading off the show. Everybody in it killed it. Uh, that sketch was so good that you put Steve Martin in the background. That's how good this sketch is. <laughs> Steve Martin could have been anybody. Mm. Uh, he wasn't necessary. This is the lead-off sketch of the evening. Like, the confidence that they, they have in this. Everybody is so good. They've got the voices so down, and they're so straight. They're so fucking good at it. Like, there's not even a, a hint that they're hesitating. Jane is so underrated as fucking, I forget her first name already, Mrs. Conehead. Interesting. We have three different. I went with celebrity weightlifting. Really? It was, <laughs> yes. It was one basic joke, but it was so goofy. Murray was fantastic on the commentary. His deadpan commentary could have been, it could have been a real sporting event. Belushi played with enough hamminess, but he wasn't Belushi chewing the scenes. Gilda did so much with so little. She showcased her, her gift for physical humor, and it was a really, really, really strong impression. 
Um, it was a big and broad sketch with, like I said, no whistles or bells. And I, I just, for, for this brief little thing, I just had a great time with this. I thought it was hilarious. I will give a special mention, though, that this is the best weekend update we've seen in a very, very, very long time, if not ever. Every joke hit for me. I could have gone with update. I could have gone with uh, with Hollywood bingo. I could have gone with Coneheads. Um, I could have even gone with the Gary Weiss movie. This was just uh, a lot of good stuff to pick from, except Roots 2. Except Roots 2. I really enjoyed the show, except Roots 2. Yeah. So who was your star of the night? My, my star of the night, Christine, was Jane Curtin. Not just because she's a beautiful woman in 1977. Uh, I thought she was fantastic in the Coneheads. Keith is absolutely right that it was a killer weekend update, especially like that. That was one, it was one of Jane's best so far. I mean, she fucked up so many times, and it was still just good. You can't mess with that. And I thought she was she was good at uh, she she was good in Hollywood Bingo. She was just good everywhere I saw her. Fun in Broadway Babies. Fun in the trench coat at the hospital. Uh, you know, she's she's really carrying her weight lately. I dig it. Yeah, I was torn between Martin and Curtin, and I'm going to go with Jane Curtin as well, because I just think she's phenomenal. And I I felt like every time her face appeared on screen, I was like, yes, it's going to be good. Um, so, yeah, I would also give it to Jane Curtin on this one. I went with Gilda for first time in a very, very long time. For me, the intro, the celebrity weightlifting I thought she made the diet ad a lot better, despite it not being very good material. The her bit in Broadway Baby, she you know held her own there, and uh, the lovers bit at the end with Steve Martin was great too. We saw some really great stuff from her tonight, and I also happened to notice after picking her that this was an episode where she didn't fall back on her characters. So maybe, you know, if you got a time machine, 1977 Saturday Night Live. Let's uh, let's remember that because Gilda is far better when she's not doing Emily Latella or Baba Wawa. Man, I didn't even think of that. You, that's so right. I, she Good always point. uses those damn annoying characters, and it's so refreshing when she just, you know, she's she's more talented than that. I get it. You get a character, you run it, mm. you run with it. You know, you get the cash in. I mean, you don't go into show business to not be famous. Uh, mm. You're on TV. So, you know, you, you go do your thing. But, oh, yeah, it was liberating. You're absolutely right about that. Overall, um, this was quite the ensemble piece, and I really think everyone benefited from that. Martin, Tomlin, and the Kinks, all very good. There was no real, like, standout sketches in the sense that nothing from this show is, like, highlight reel all the time stuff. Everything was good except Roots 2. I loved seeing half the crew in Hollywood Bingo. There were some really fun impressions in there. And just for some of these folks, like the, the costume designers to get their mugs on camera was a lot of fun. Belushi hit a sweet spot here. He was he was big without being overly hammy. Lorraine was sort of lost in the shuffle, but she was very solid throughout. Bill Murray looked like he'd been there for years. And Garrett was used far better than he has been in a long time. And this is the best Gilda has been in a long time. And Aykroyd, again, just Aykroyd, but... Uh, probably not as prominent as, as he usually is. I think if you're looking for an episode, a good strong episode that doesn't have the sort of marquee highlight reel A-list material, uh, just a solid episode top to bottom with just a few little bumps in the road, this is a really good option. Um, I was really happy with this, and I gave this one an 8 out of 10. Me too! 
I contemplated an 8.5, but they needed that extra 0.5 taken off for Roots 2. You guys, I also gave it an 8 out of 10. No! No jokes, I totally did. This is the second best Saturday Night Live uh, we have watched, in my opinion. It's, uh, I don't know if I've rated anything else an 8. I know I've given my favorite the 9. But this, in my, uh, you know, sitting here right now talking to you guys, this is my second favorite Saturday Night Live that we've watched since starting to do this whole thing the musical guest was cool the not ready for primetime players were all featured in their own way and they were all killing it and the host didn't you know he wasn't smothering the show they knew when to push him back they knew when to pull him in the gary weiss film was short and fun and uh, appetizing and lily tomlin was just a, a great little bonus there were, you know, no overly annoying characters, nothing too heavy handed. We didn't need any weird cameos or or Lorne or anything like that. Just a solid classic Saturday Night Live fucking Roots 2 in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, Yeah. So uh, that's triple eight. It makes the math easy for me. We average it out at eight, and for only, I believe, the third time in the history of our little journey, we actually finish higher than the Internet Movie Database, which gave it a oh. 7.9. So statistically, we're the same, but uh, but we liked it more than the IMDb did, and that's only happened twice with uh, – do you remember the two, Matt? Was the other one Candace Bergen? Candace Bergen and Desi Arnaz. Oh, Desi, too. I knew it was Candace. That Candace Bergen episode was the best episode I think they've done so far. Uh, but I did forget about Desi. And it's actually closing in on 2,000 views on our YouTube channel. Desi's our runaway. He's our runaway success. <laughs> this was an absolute pleasure uh, having you back on and, again, going through a, a, a wonderfully great episode of Saturday Night Live. Thank you so much for having me back. This was a lot of fun, and I really, really enjoyed this episode. You've chosen wisely. So Lucky. next week we'll be back with uh, – do you know who's hosting next week, Matt? Sissy Spacek. Sissy Spacek and her musical guest? I missed that. Richard Baskin. I don't know who that is. His sister's the photographer, Edie Baskin. Oh, I know who Edie is. That's why I was like, Baskin, that's something. I know and they are actually the they are actually the daughter of the founder of ba- or the daughter and son of the founder of Baskin Robbins. But he he does have a musical career of some note, but we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, musical career. I wonder if big ice cream helped pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll be back in about a week with uh, Sissy Spacek and musical guest Richard Baskin. But until then, we'll be staring at Steve Martin's pants here in (laughs) SNL. (laughs) 